two foundations of Pentecost dedicated to the repairing, restoring, preserving, and perpetrating the foundations of Pentecost. It is our prayer that as you listen, you will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And now, today's study from the Scripture. We are concluding this morning our series from the book of Malachi, entitled Messages from Malachi. And so we will be looking at Malachi chapter 4 this morning. Malachi chapter 4. And it's a only this chapter is only six verses long, so we'll be reading the entire chapter. And um, Malachi has a lot to say to us today. And there are a lot of things in the book of Malachi, honestly, and and even in the chapter we're looking at this morning that uh, we could dig into and uh, that... that um, are going to be beyond the scope of, of um, our lesson this morning. Uh, but there is uh, so much here if you begin to delve into uh, some of the prophecy and, and some of the things that, uh, that Malachi has to, to say. But it's true with the entirety of Scripture. Sometimes if we're not careful, we get to digging into some of the areas of prophecy that are unclear and that the Bible does not fully disclose, trying to figure out exactly what's going to happen in the future to the extent that we miss what the Bible is telling us about how we live for today. And uh, so, uh, let's look at, let's go to the Lord in prayer actually, first of all, and invite His presence to be in the class with us. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for the privilege that we have to come into Your presence. God, I pray that You would be with us today during this time together. I pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to hear Your Word. God, I pray that then, as we hear Your Word, Lord, we not uh, simply hear Your Word and be hearers only, but Lord, I pray that we would be doers of Your Word and that we would apply it, Lord, not just to the setting here in church as we sit and listen to Your Word, but as we walk day by day in life. I pray that it would become a part of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Malachi chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments, 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. He says in the beginning of verse 4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant. And so I took the title for today's lesson from that passage of Scripture and said, Remember God's Word. Remember God's Word. The book of Malachi ends with both a promise and a warning. As in every act of God where He is announcing judgment, there is also an offering of His mercy. In the book of Jonah, chapter 4 and verse 2, we find Jonah talking to the Lord. And the Bible says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Jonah was angry at this point because he wanted to see the judgment of the Lord upon Nineveh and the Ninevites had repented and God had spared Nineveh. And so Jonah was angry and he said, I knew that you're merciful. And so he said, I didn't want to preach to them because I knew that you were merciful and I knew that if they repented, you'd show mercy. And I'm not near as merciful as you are. So I didn't want them to receive uh, that mercy. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, we find here in the book of Malachi the, that Malachi is telling the people of Israel that there is a judgment coming. And uh, uh, But in telling them that there is judgment coming, he also says the Lord is merciful. God has made a way of escape. God has made a plan of salvation so that we can escape His judgment. He says in verse 1, we read, "...that the day cometh and shall burn as an oven in all the proud." Yea, and all that do wickedly shall be as stubble, and the day uh, that cometh shall burn them up. First of all, he lets us know that there is a certainty to judgment. Up until this point in the book of Malachi, when we read through the book of Malachi, he has a format in which uh, God makes a statement and then, then uh, the children of Israel would question. He would, he would write as though he was responding from the children of Israel the question and they question the Lord. For example, when, when he says that God says that you have robbed me and the people say, how have we robbed you? And then God would answer 
in tithe and offering. And so, uh, in the same manner, Malachi throughout the book does this kind of thing. But here, he leaves that discourse and that type of a message and that type of format. And he bluntly warns the people that there is a time of judgment that is coming. And that judgment is inescapable. Last week we looked at the fact that that uh, in chapter 3 the people questioned and they had asked, said, said, said why, do, uh, why does judgment not come? They, they looked and they, they saw the wicked that seemed to prosper. And we talked about uh, from Psalm 73 where Asaph said, My feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so they wondered why that... Uh, uh, judgment did not come. As a matter of fact, David writes in Psalm 37, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious because of the workers of iniquity. And sometimes we think that people are getting by with their sin, and here Malachi says, you're not getting away with it. You will not get by with your sin. You cannot sin and avoid judgment. There is a judgment coming. And just because because it has not happened yet, does not mean it will not happen. There is a judgment coming. It is certain. It is sure. It will come. (coughs) But, Peter says, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Not only is it a certainty, but then we look at the comprehensiveness of His judgment. He says that all the wicked will be judged. It's not just some. Sometimes we have have a in in this world there is a partiality in judgment. Uh, there are times in human nature that we have a tendency to let those that we love. Let those that we are good friends with slide by. While those that we dislike, we judge critically. And we judge harshly. But God's judgment, God's justice is true. And it is applied equally to all men. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have lived a life wickedly, you will be judged. All who sin will face the judgment. Revelation 20.15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I find it interesting that in naming the proud and in pointing out that the, the proud will suffer uh, judgment, or the wicked will suffer judgment, that he specifically names the proud. Not only does he say the wicked, but he specifically points out that pride is a problem. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 says, These six things doth the Lord hate, and yea, seven are an abomination to him a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And here he puts. In this list, the first thing in the list is a proud look. I understand that there may be times that there is problems that people have with low self-esteem. But a lot of times in our society, even from many of our pulpits, we talk about how that people need to feel better about themselves. And about how that people have problems with low self-esteem. When the Bible says the problem with man is pride. The problem with our thinking we have low self-esteem is the fact that we feel down on ourselves because we think other people are not thinking as highly of us as we think that they need to be thinking. And so it is causing what we're calling low self-esteem, which is actually just a different word for pride. We have renamed it to make it sound like it's okay. But God is going to judge the proud. And then we find not only is judgment certain, not only is it all-encompassing of, of all of those that are wicked, but it is complete. It is complete. He says they will be burned up as stubble. They will be destroyed. The wicked will be destroyed. Once they are judged, God will finish the work of judgment. But as I said when we started, not only does God judge, not only is there the promise and a warning of judgment to come. But God extends His mercy. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, But unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. He says, The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. The first thing we find in the healing is that He offers redemption to mankind. He is giving the promise that there would come one who would save this world from their sins. In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, the Bible says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Peter quotes from Joel chapter 2 uh, on the, uh, the day of Pentecost as he begins to preach to the multitude. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Luke chapter 1 
we read the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. And how that Zacharias offered in the temple. And how that he was offering at the golden altar before the ark. And, and an angel appeared and or foretold the coming of John the Baptist, his son. And, and Zacharias doubted because of their age. And so, as a sign, Zacharias was made a mute, made unable to speak until John was born. After that John was born and, and, and Zacharias wrote, saying, His name shall be called John, his tongue was loosed and he was able to speak. And when he was able to speak, he began to praise God. And here's what he said as he praised God. He spoke prophetically. Beginning in verse 76, he says, And thou, child, shall be called a prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a promise of redemption. The greatest disease from which we need to be cleansed, that we need to be healed, is that of our sins. We need forgiveness for our sins. And Jesus bled and died on the cross for our sins. But the Bible says that the Son of Righteousness would appear or would arise with healing in His wings. As I looked at this passage, I began to wonder and I, I found that this word that is translated wings can also be translated rays. And he is talking about healing within the rays of the Son of God. The, the, these. As he is likening the Son of God to the sun that shines. And the rays of the sunshine that emanate from the sun. There is healing within those rays. There is healing within his wings. And there is a time of restoration. First of all, Malachi is talking to the children of Israel. He is talking about the healing of the nation of Israel. 
And He is looking forward to a time actually that we know of as the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth and rule and reign on this earth. And He is looking toward a time when Jesus, their Messiah, would be the King of the world. And He would rule and reign. But he's also talking about a time of restoration for you and I and for the people of Israel. Not just a restoration of the nation of Israel, but the fact that we can be restored to fellowship with Jesus Christ. That we can be restored to fellowship with God. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden when man sinned. That which was lost in our own life when we've committed our own sin. We like to look back and say we're all born into sin because of Adam. But it's not just because of Adam, it's because of our own sin. I was in in need of a Savior not because of Adam's sin. I was in need of a Savior because of my own sin. So because of that, there needed to be a restoration and a healing of the fellowship between me and God. There needed to be a restoration of the fellowship between man and God. And so the Son of Righteousness appears to give His life a ransom for many that there might be a restoration of fellowship that once again we could walk with God as Adam did, and talk with God. And because of that restoration, we can sing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own, and the joy we share is we tarry there. None other has ever known. Not only is there healing and restoration for our spirits and for our souls, but there is healing for our bodies. There is restoration for our bodies. We can find healing. God brings healing to our bodies. Isaiah 53 verse 5, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. And so, we find that there is restoration. And then, He says that the wicked will be trampled under your feet. There comes a time when the righteous will rule over the wicked. We may not see it now. It may seem like it's far off. And sometimes when we look around the direction that our nation's going, we, sometimes it's like, you know, have you ever said or heard it said when, when it comes close to, to election time, it's just a matter of, of choosing the better of two evils, you know? And, and a lot of times that's the way we feel. But there will come a time when Jesus Christ will rule in righteousness and we will rule and reign with Him. Often it appears the wicked have the upper hand in this world. But one day the situation will be reversed. 
And then he tells us, he gives us a promise, a hope for the future. There is hope. There is a promise. He tells them as part of this promise, first of all, you have to remember the law of Moses. Remember the Word of God. It is important that we remember the Word of God. Paul instructed Timothy to remember the things that he had been taught as a child and how that he knew the Scripture from the time he was a child and to continue in those things that he had learned. It is important that we remember the Word of God, that we hide the Word of God in our heart, that we not sin against Him. We must cling to the Word of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews said, in Hebrews chapter 2, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Lest at any time we should let them drift away. Not that we intentionally turn our back and walk away. But if we are not careful, we get busy with the day-to-day cares of this life. And we can become so burdened down and so, so involved in the things that are going on around us that our salvation just kind of slips from our grasp. We just kind of ignore it. We allow it to to, uh, deteriorate simply because we do not heed the Word of God. We must cling to the Word of God. One commentator said, the people... In Malachi's day, didn't need a new message from God. They needed to renew their allegiance with the God they had ignored. A lot of people are always looking for something new. Looking to hear something new. But the fact of the matter is, we have to go back and remember what we have been taught from the Word of God. We need to remember the Word of God. We don't need something new. We need what is written in this book. Not another person's uh, interpretation or, or, or another individual's twisting of the Word of God. But we need to read the book for what it says, like it says it. And understand the Word of God. And apply it to our lives. He then tells the people not only to remember, but we must repent. 
repentance. We must turn away from our sin. Throughout Malachi, he has been pointing out the sins of the nation of Israel. And God today would like to tell the church, it's time to repent. God, Malachi, uh, God was speaking to the nation of Israel through Malachi, and, and it, was, it was His people He was talking to. When He said repent, as we pointed out when we began the series, Malachi was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. The children of Israel had been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. They had returned to Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the city. They had rebuilt the temple. They were living in a period of time that when we look back, we call it a time of restoration, a time of renewal, a time of revival. And yet, in the midst of a revival, God was saying, repent. And so many times we come to the Lord, oh God, we want a revival. We want to see miracles. We want to see healings. We want to see the outpouring of Your Spirit. We want to see You move in our midst. We want to have shouting and rejoicing. We want revival. And God is saying, repent. And the message for God's people, even in time of revival, was repent. We want to preach the message of repentance to the world. But we forget the message of repentance is also to the church. John writes... John chapter 1, he's talking to the people of God. He says, my little children. He says, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. He says, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not saying we have to sin. But he goes on to say, but if we sin, in chapter 2 verse 1, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. We look back into the Old Testament at King David who was known as a man after God's own heart. And we look back at his life and we say, well, you know, he messed up and he sinned in, in, in with Bathsheba. And, and, but he came back to God and, and, and repented. And we read his repentance in Psalm 51 and how that he, he cried out to God, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. But the fact of the matter was, that wasn't the only time David had to come to God in repentance. There were many times in David's life that he came back to God to repent 
because he failed God. Even toward the end of, of the recording of his life, we find how that he took a census against the will and the word of God. And God brought pestilence upon the nation of Israel. And we find David again repenting for his sin. And so the message of, uh, is that of repentance. And when we repent, there is a promise of restoration. We already talked about the fact that there is healing. There is a restoration. There is a making man right with God. He gives here in these final chapters, or in this final chapter, Another prophecy concerning the forerunner of Christ, the coming prophet. And he describes him in verse 6 saying, He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. The future ministry of the coming prophet is described in terms of putting families right with God and right with each other. We cannot have blessing from God or abundant life in the Spirit if God's people do not make family authority, love, and faithfulness absolute priorities in the church. The purity and righteousness of the home must be maintained or our congregations will fail. That's why Peter tells us, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, honor your wife as a weaker vessel. Love your wives that your prayers be not hindered. Many times, we do not have the power of God in our lives because we do not have God reigning and ruling in our homes. God's message for the church today is the same that it was in Malachi's day to His people. Malachi was sent by God to preach the message of repentance to the nation of Israel. And so it is, God's call to the church today is to repent. In almost every letter to the churches, a couple exceptions, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus Christ dictates to John to write, repent. It is the message to the church today that we repent. The so often used passage of Scripture that it's almost become cliche and we don't even stop to think about its meaning when we quote it over and over. But Second Chronicles 
7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. That word turn means repent. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If we want to see a change in the course of our nation, if we are truly concerned about the gay pride uh, uh, parades and about the gay agenda that is going on, if we are really concerned about abortion that is taking place in our country, if we are really concerned about how that it seems like our, our nation is, is just running headlong into hell and that, that we are going astray as a nation, then we must realize that the church God's people must humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways. And when we do, God will heal our land. Not when Congress prays. Not when Congress repents. Not when the President repents. Not when the Supreme Court repents. But when God's people repent. There will be healing and restoration. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that we would apply it to our hearts and lives today. God, I pray that we would come before You with a repentant heart. Lord, that we would be broken for the sins that first of all is in our own life. The things that we think no one knows that You see. Lord, for thoughts, for, for the imagination of our heart, Lord, that sometimes may, nobody else may know about, but You see, Lord. I pray that You would forgive us for those things. And then, Lord, I pray that You would forgive us for the sins of our nation. Lord, for going astray from Your Word, from departing from Your Word, for forgetting Your Word, and for not applying it to our lives as we should. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Foundations of Pentecost. We trust that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like to know more, please visit us at foundationsofpentecost.com.